Mm. And so I think that's kind of uh, the sense of where we need to be. We need to once again plant the seed of the gospel. That's not going to be in the big institutions. It's going to be in family, in local neighbourhoods, in in the small and the intimate and the personal. Mm. Um, so I think that's the sense of where uh, we need to go, pitch out into our families and into our uh, local communities. Welcome to the Ron Huntley Leadership Podcast, helping leaders be a positive catalyst on the people they support, the organizations they serve, and the communities they live. This podcast will make you think, laugh, and grit your teeth with new determination to make your parish or business a place of transformation, passion, and purpose. If you're still breathing, you are powered. As I get to work with different churches and different dioceses and different parts of the world, I'm noticing that a lot of us are going through the same thing, a time of transformation, particularly post-COVID. My guest today is Archbishop Peter Comensoli from Melbourne, Australia, who has recently written a talk and delivered a talk at, uh, at the St. Patrick Oration in Melbourne, Focus specifically on post-COVID. Where do we go from here? Welcome to the show, Archbishop Peter. Well, thank you, Ron. Lovely to be here. It'll be good to um, have our conversation that others can share in, in different ways. Hey. I, I should start with saying, um, from your perspective, uh, it's tomorrow. And from my perspective, it's yesterday. Well, the other way around for you. Actually, the other way around. So. <laughs> <laughs> I always get confused by it too. <laughs> so anyway, I'm 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 already I'm already tomorrow. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Conversation. <laughs> always a day ahead. When I look into the future, I think of you guys. That's for sure. You know, kind of a huge day. You know, you think we're in this season of um, Easter, and yes. uh, you know, the door the the Lord comes in the dawn, mm -hmm. um, and so. I think that it's always that sense of the Lord's coming to us mm. from our from our future into our lives now. Mm. So anyway, there's yeah, a image to think about. It, it really is. That's a mind bender when you the whole outside of time and just coming. It's just so beautiful. That's what I believe makes our tritium just so amazing. Our celebration so amazing. Just to bring Christ a new, afresh into these opportunities. And, you know, as you took the time to think about, and I'd love to ask your opinion, perspective, and have a conversation about post-COVID, where do we go from here? Tell me a little bit about what you were thinking when you put that talk together. Uh, for a couple of years now, Ron, I've been, uh, a few things have been running through my prayer and my thinking over, mm -hmm. over quite an extensive period of time now. And two particular uh, images have stayed with me. Uh, and we might tease it into both of those. Sure. The first is that we're in a time of exile. Uh, we being uh, perhaps more uh, descriptive for uh, the global north, if you like, in faith. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, so Australia being a you know, relatively wealthy country and um, we, have, we don't have recessions very often and we're, you know, we're, we're a wealthy country in comparison to a lot of other places. We, mm. we live as well, Western culture, which is unwinding in very many respects. Uh, we're at a time when uh, 
faith generally is in decline, um, whether it's Christian faith or uh, one of the other faiths in decline. And it, it, it's the image of being in exile in situ is, has been with me for some time. And I think of the, the example that we have in, in scripture of the, the Babylonian exile of uh, God's people uh, taken away from their homeland, uh, exiled and captive elsewhere in uh, and uh, all that that meant for them, uh, the loss that was uh, a part of that, but also, I think, deeply a creative gain, and it, I think that's important uh, to note here. So there's the image of uh, exile, I think it's important, and the other image that's constantly with me, it's more not so much an image, that's perhaps not the correct word, but but the life of the first iteration of the church, the, the walking out of the upper room at Pentecost Church, mm -hmm. church that we find in the Acts of the Apostles, in Paul's writings and so on, uh, that very, very early church uh, and what, uh, what was something of the flavour of this fledgling um, community of God's people, the fledgling expression of the kingdom of God um, and how they went about things. So those two things are really important in my, in my thinking uh, and in my prayer. Mm. Yeah. Well, when I think about what's happening globally with the war that's happening over in Europe and all the refugees running, uh, I can only imagine what it's like to be driven out of your homeland, to be driven out of your occupations, your careers, everything, and and having a future that you're not sure of. That's intense. And, and you know, in my lifetime, I've watched churches empty. Like in my lifetime, I'm 52. And I remember going to the church that I grew up in, Coal Harbor, Nova Scotia, Canada, and uh, they, they used to have a set of dividers to divide the main sanctuary from the church hall, and they had to open it every single Sunday because it was jammed right to the rafters, standing room only. And then not very long after that, people left more so than were driven out, right? They just left, and, you know, friends, their parents, I've just watched in my generation this exodus but it wasn't driven out by an enemy, or maybe it was. <laughs> but the people aren't necessarily longing to come back, which would be different, wouldn't it, in terms of the... Possibly. Uh, something, I shouldn't say strange, but it was, it was strange to experience happened mm -hmm. at the Triduum this year in our cathedral. We had enormous numbers come. Uh, through the, we, we, I was doing a little bit of estimate with the dean of the cathedral. We reckon over eight thousand people over um, the, the three days of the Triduum came through our cathedral. That's bigger than pre-COVID numbers. Uh, we were surprised, and I don't have a, I don't have an explanation yet uh, around why, but it. it it, it, it says something. Uh, so anyway, 
Yes, I, I think you're descriptive. We, we're, we're of the same generation uh, and coming out of it, for you, a Canadian experience and me out of an Australian experience, quite similar. Yes. Um, you know, we're, we're, we're both part of the Commonwealth. Um, <laughs> you know, we, we, we both like Queen Elizabeth, well, sort of. <laughs> um, um, uh, we have both perhaps Canada more so than Australia uh, or more uh, advanced along the way than Australia uh, have lived this um, mm. somewhat abandonment of faith, uh, a, a, a loss of a sense of um, wanting to live faith in a discipleship way. Mm. Uh, I don't think, uh, I think there's still a lot of people who might be generally believers in, in, in yes. relatively nebulous sort of ways. Mm -hmm. But the idea of uh, committing your life in faith to a way of life and living accordingly, that certainly has um, shifted very dramatically. And I would hazard a guess that that will be something of the reality for quite some time to come. Hmm. Yeah, that's fair. And, and talking with some priests from Melbourne over the last couple of days, they too have had the same experience you had which bigger than pre-COVID numbers during the Trudium, which I think that's amazing. And so that's not just at the cathedral, that's in your diocese from what I can tell, which, yeah, I don't have an answer for that either, but that really excites me. <laughs> um, we're, we're, the, the, the channels of grace, the, 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 the kind of the subterranean stream of grace that's been flowing all the time through COVID and through yeah. these years, um, you know, sometimes it bubbles up and maybe this is a bubble yeah. bubbling up. Yes, hopefully. So what, what, what do you see as, like, again, wonderful surprise during Easter? Um, and yet, what do you see as you continue to pray into this post-COVID reality as an archbishop who has hopes and dreams for his people and their impact? Um, Melbourne... I, I don't know to what extent this is a descriptor for other places, but Melbourne as a city, very large city now, um, Melbourne Archdiocese is the largest in the country, uh, which, so our local church uh, is very substantial. And it, it has for a fair whack of its history, lived with the sense of it's, it's big institutions. We, you know, we have a, mm very lot of schools, um, over 300 schools, Catholic schools mm -hmm. in our archdiocese. Um, uh, we have very large healthcare and aged care and welfare agencies and works that are going. We have um, over 200 parishes. Uh, so these sort of big picture kind of realities um, have have sustained the church in Melbourne for many decades. But in recent times and over the last couple of decades, uh, for all sorts of reasons, um, uh, those kind of institutional uh, realities, the way in which the church was seen in the world uh, of Melbourne uh, have dissipated or have um, 
moved in ways that are that are that are not so deeply grounded in the gospel and so on. Uh, and that strikes me as a really important uh, reality. Uh, mm. It also says to me, uh, you know, in our context of, uh, of uh, like your country, but in mine with great horror and shame, the, the sexual abuse crisis mm. has also uh, played out significantly. And Melbourne is, um, you know, how do I say this in a way that um, I, I say it in, in its reality, uh, we're kind of one of the epicenters for abuse in, in, in our country, um, mm. in the church. So all of these things have had their effect on the church. Yes. In, in the image. Uh, and I, I think there's kind of earthquake territory. Mm. It's all being broken up. And if you're in earth, if you you've gone through an earthquake, you can't stay put where the earthquake happened. The ground's all broken. You need to pitch out for somewhere else and replant. Mm. And so I think that's kind of uh, the sense of where we need to be. We need to once again plant the seed of the gospel. That's not going to be in the big institutions. It's going to be in family, in local neighbourhoods, in in the small and the intimate and the personal. Mm. Um, I think that's the sense of where uh, we need to go, pitch out into our families and into our uh, local communities. Mm. What does that look like for, um, what does that look like for, for priests and parishes? Like uh, practically speaking, how does that break down? I love the imagery, by the way, I think it's really beautiful. Uh, there's no one way in which this needs to happen, Ron. Um, uh, Melbourne is sometimes described as, this is Melbourne generally, as yes. a series of different countries. So mm. the little pockets, the parts of Melbourne, the sectors and the areas of Melbourne uh, could be quite different from one another. So true. So, um, uh, and, and we're, we're, we're spread out over pretty large geographic territory. Yes. There's parts of our diocese, uh, you know, people in, living in some parts of our diocese would have no idea what life is like living in another part of our diocese. It's so different. So, so in terms of talking about parishes, it's, it's uh, my sense keeps coming back to, well, well, what about the parish here mm. in this location? Yes. Uh, how does the community of God's people uh, come together here at this time and in this place. I think that's really important uh, to try and sort of think about it as one thing will be worked through and that'll sort us all out, you know, implement this program or do that uh, initiative. Uh, no, that's not going to, that's not going to cut it. It's not, is it? Hmm. You know, even as I, as I work with priests, in, in different areas, I'll often just in a few minutes ask them about their parish, like, tell me about your church. And they'll tell me about their church and instantly I can see it's going to be nothing like the one I was just talking to because of where they're geographically located, what's happening with the demographics, uh, what's happening with the different uh, ethnic groups there and how they interrelate to each other. It's complicated. Mm -hmm. It's complicated, like leadership 
in such a multicultural world with with the, the levels of diversity we have, I find it's never been more challenging, which is also what I find really exciting and fun from a leadership perspective, but it's not because it's easy. Mm, mm. Uh, well, certainly not easy. Uh, again, I come back to that image of the exile. So when, when the people of Babylon were, oh, sorry, not the people of Babylon, the God's people, <laughs> the Jewish people were in Babylon. Yes, okay. <laughs> get that right. Uh, um, uh, there's an interest part in, in, in Jeremiah's writings where uh, you, you know Jeremiah's the prophet of you're going to be exiled. You've got to change. I'm, 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 I've been called by the Lord to be this voice to challenge you and say, come back uh, yes. to the Lord. Uh, and uh, so Jeremiah is the one who is the prophet that leads into the exile. So in a sense, the failing prophet. Uh, his word to them when he's, in, he's stuck in uh, Jerusalem, the people have gone off. They've been taken off to Babylon or wherever they were going for their mm. exile. And uh, uh, Jeremiah says to him, you know, go there, settle down, get married, plant crops, grow. Mm. I think that's a very important uh, image. So in the midst of the worst would come the best. Mm. Uh, it was in that time that the whole rabbinical tradition started, for instance. The, the, the creativity of, uh, of God's people to find a way. They no longer had the temple, uh, uh, so they couldn't go there to worship. How, how might the faith continue to be nurtured and grow mm. uh, you know, amongst God's people? Um, and so they the creative ways in which this came about hard slog really hard but also hope mm. um, and with grace finding a way so as i say all that you know, our our priests and um, our people you know, it's a hard slog in parishes these days and you know, a lot of my priests are tired. Uh, you know, the, the COVID itself has been debilitating. Um, Melbourne has the dubious record of being the city longest in periods of lockdown in the world. Yes. Um, 263 days of it, um, of hard lockdown. Uh, this is taking its toll on everyone. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a, a kind of, there remains, a, a, I think, a fatigue. And, a, you know, people talk about long COVID in, it, in its physiological reality. There's a long COVID in its psychological and spiritual reality as well. Amen. Um, and so all of this is playing out. Uh, there's demands on, on our, our parishes now, our parish leadership around... Uh, you know, general compliance requirements and administration and all that, and that takes its toll. So all of these things are at play. Mm. So life for our priests and our leaders, lay leaders in parishes, is uh, it, it 
throws up all of these challenges. Mm -hmm. Through that, somehow, we need to find uh, these creative, uh, uh, the creative channel of grace that's flowing. Love that. And that's, that's what I see too. I, I see great hope in the midst of this post-COVID reality, and even through COVID for that matter, I certainly didn't stop working and neither did did you or or a lot of priests. Uh, we might have been locked down, but we we're still working and uh, innovating. And, and I find in this post-COVID season, what you're sharing and how you've articulated is bang on. And, and in the midst of that, there is some people who've really grappled with, uh, or really come out the other side of it, still with this sense of optimism and hope and willing to try new things. And, and to me, I find that quite exciting. I know, you know, as a parish coach, I certainly don't have all the answers, not even close, but I'll bet on a pastor who's willing to surround himself with a diversity of other committed people to try to prior identify major problems come up with solutions and and start getting to work hmm. you know the yeah. work of the gospel in this new reality i you know god wants to bless that it is going to take different ways of leading though and i think that's the key because if we just continue to do what we've done in the past that wasn't working particularly well in some instances and so to find new ways of of leading I think is what's going to help us to find new answers to problems that we're facing. I think that's a, an important thing to know. Numbers of my priests say to me, but we've, we've been trying to be missionary for, for years and years and years. You know, what's this all about being missionary? You know, <laughs> we've been trying to do it. Um, uh, but there are, um, it's, I think it's both in identifying where we're at in each of our local circumstances mm -hmm. uh, and from there seeing new possibilities. Mm -hmm. So um, one, one of the um, uh, kind of statements of uh, Pope Francis in Evangelium Gaudium, I think is, don't quote me on this, um, I think paragraph 28, somewhere around about there, 27, 28, 29, somewhere around about there. Mm -hmm. He talks about a, a kind of a, there needs to be new ways, new timetables, new um, uh, processes, and so on. Mm -hmm. uh, that's a challenging statement. Popes, they do throw out challenging things from time to time. Um, uh, uh, and to be a person who is taking that up yeah. requires enormous levels of energy, I think. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it requires a significant sense of trusting God to try things, even they may fail. Mm -hmm. um, and, but it's there that, that, you know, someone hears the name of Jesus, not as a swear word or not as a, um, as a, you know, thing to be ridiculed or whatever, uh, but hears the name of Jesus and hears in that, a way for me to live my life well. Yes. So how do you do that? How do you do that? Yeah. And and, and how do you do that? I, I have a friend uh, that, you know, he'll often say, well, God told me this or God told me that. And and I don't, 
I don't deny that that could be the case. And yet sometimes uh, I, have a, I have another friend said, you know, God told me to tell you such and such. And he often says, yeah, well, if, tell God to tell me himself, you know, like I, I'm discerning. <laughs> <laughs> <You know? laughs> so, so sometimes we need to vet out these ideas, these callings, these concepts in the context of people that are every bit as committed as we are, because it's often in in doing it together that I, I find that collective wisdom, that collective discernment is way better than mine by myself. And, and I think the ability to work out of teams, uh, I think gives us a fresh perspective. I think it lowers our, the anxiety around making wrong decisions or having to implement decisions that are difficult in, 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 at times when they might not be as well received. Uh, change is hard. Yeah even though we know it's required. And so as the Pope calls us to consider these ideas and concepts, uh, what I'm seeing and where I'm seeing it bear fruit without killing clergy <laughs> emotionally and spiritually is when they feel the support uh, and have the support, not only feel it, but have the support of, of, of leading differently. Um, and so I'm, I get really excited about that. And I, I know from your perspective as, as an archbishop in a huge diocese, you have a lot of staff, you have a lot of teams. And, and it sounds to me as, as you're navigating this change, you probably have had to structure differently and align things differently so that you can help support and bring about this change. What types of things are you seeing that you're thinking, oh, I'm really excited about this, or I'm really proud of what I'm seeing happen? How would you describe that? Well, there's a challenging question you just put to me, Ron. <laughs> <laughs> That's what friends do. Yeah, um, in, in an odd sort of way, I, I, I try not to think in that way. Okay. My favourite my favorite um, particular definition of the church is the body of Christ, that biblical image of the body of Christ, that, um, you know, we're, we're, we're all made up. We have to do this together. Mm -hmm. it, you know, you can't have all hands, as St. Paul said, or all eyes. You can't all be there. There's a whole pile of the whole membership of, of mm. the body of Christ brings its own particular gift and charism and um, uh, and so on. So um, to structure in that sense, mm -hmm. uh, I, I, I make absolutely no claims that I'm doing this well or not. Uh, but to have that as an image, I think is important as, well, not as, it's not an image, it's, it's a definition. What is the church? Mm. Church is, you know, a sacrament, church is communion, church is um, the people of God, temple of the Holy Spirit. For me, the one that really speaks to me is uh, body of Christ. Neat. Um, uh, all those other ones are important and significant and so on. I'm not trying to say, you know, this is the one that you've got to be doing, everyone. This is the one that speaks with, to me. I <laughs> love that. That's the one thing. Um, uh, and it, why is that one important? This is a strange way of answering your question, I know, but why is that one important? Um, in the body of Christ, we see something of what it is to live in communion whether it's a married couple, 
spousal commitment, whether it's um, within a parish and um, parochial communion, whether it's in, uh, you know, a bunch of priests in a, a kind of a priestly or presbyteral communion. These are all important. Mm. Um, around me, I have uh, you know, been able to find some wonderful people who are friends that, mm -hmm. who are here to want to have a passion for, for the name of Jesus and a passion for mm. life of the church. Um, and, you know, we each have our own set of gifts we each have our own set of things that we're not so great at. Um, uh, and one of my not so great at is answering these sort of questions, by the way. <laughs> well, I thought that was a very interesting and, and, and great answer um, because it really is, there's a lot of moving parts in, in an organization as big as the Diocese of Melbourne. And, and, and uh, you really have brought some amazing people around you, and it's been fun to see them and and to watch them and to 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 see the commitment they have to you, to the vision, to Christ, to His Church. It is beautiful. It is tricky work, but it's important work. Um, and again, I think the fact that it's so difficult in this season is, I think, it's the very thing that makes leadership so much fun, because as we get it right, and what does right mean? I, I don't know, perhaps fruitfulness. Like you, if you can tell a tree by its fruit, then what does fruit look like? And how are we doing at producing fruit in the form of transformed lives? And as we get that right, and again, because it's not easy, boy, we could probably help more and more people because I think globally I'm seeing the church struggle with getting that right yeah. and, and the different forms it could take. But just like the parishes that you talked about, like in, in Melbourne, they're just so diverse. That's the same is true for a diocese. There's not one way to get diocesan leadership right. They're all so unique and different. There are some, there are some key principles that I think apply, but their application and, and the context is very different. And we need to, I think, be careful, Ron, in terms of um, not looking for the right for not well looking for the wrong kind of fruit. Mm -hmm. Uh, we, we use a fairly common word these days around growth or talk around growth in our, in our churches. Um, uh, that can often be translated into bums on seats. Um, uh, I just realised that's a bit of an Aussie expression. <laughs> oh, no, we use that in, we use oh, that in North America too. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not swearing, folks. <laughs> Um, uh, you know, to have as an image or, or, or a goal more people and so on. I'm not quite sure if that's the fruit. The fruit in our biblical and therefore in our faith context comes by way of leaven. And mm. leaven is tiny. It's a nothing in there. Um, uh, so growth in discipleship is not growth in bums on seat. Mm. Uh, and seeing that I think is important. So, because it can be, it can be disheartening going, you know, where is anyone who put on this great program and so on and so forth. Where is everyone? Um, 
but what's the seed planting that's happening in in you know a married couple who something's happened and you know the reality of their lives is a real struggle but into that can come the seed of the holy spirit and what might happen there and it may not be something that's seen and obvious but it may be known within that family mm -hmm. and their kids see their parents you know, they've been able to work through this difficulty they've found a way of of spousal love and communion that that comes out of mm. a commitment in their faith and hoping uh, that's growth that's fruitfulness mm -hmm. I it's probably agree. not noticed much it's probably not noticeable mm. unless someone knows knows those people personally mm. um, but gradually when you know there's a little bit there and a little bit here and so on and so forth um, yeah that grows Love that. It reminds me of uh, the whole concept of APES, and I know you and I have talked about it, and a lot of our listeners have heard me talk about it, but apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, teacher. And I agree with you. And somebody who's an apostle, like I'm an apostle at heart, that's my number one. I just think, great, then let's understand that, multiply it and blow it up so so many other families can get help. I just, I'm so hardwired for thinking about multiplying the impact that that knowing Jesus has in people's lives that, you know, depending on what type of charism somebody has as a leader, you're going to come at that challenge differently. And again, going back to that diversity, when we can bring teachers and apostles and prophets and evangelists and shepherds together, thinking all five of those, I think we can have the integrity of that discipleship or that transformation that you're talking about we can understand it and multiply it and grow it and but nothing out of balance and out of whack because i agree with you growing for the sake of growth is a terrible idea <laughs> but man growth that you're talking about that is multiplied oh how many families can we help how many parents can we help how many children will be helped by strong marriages and i just get so excited about about that, about that definition, which which I agree with you. It's it's. What's your hope for the for the diocese? If you look at maybe let's say you know we're recovering from COVID as much as we can with something that we don't fully understand that keeps coming back, but you know let's say in the next three to five years, what is your hope for the people of Melbourne in the Catholic context and the impact that they can have in the broader city? Yeah, uh, I would certainly have a hope that uh, our people might be able to start to see uh, that there is indeed the grace of Jesus Christ flowing through them. Yes. Uh, and that in, in, in seeing that, uh, having a confidence then to be able to share that with others, mm. um, seeing what's happening for themselves and having then the, uh, a confidence in Jesus. Mm. Um, I think is really important. Uh, I, I, I have um, a strong desire to try and build a, what I, I'm going to use a kind of a churchy bit of churchy language here. That's okay. Uh, apologies, a, a catechumenal way of living our faith. And what I mean by that is um, if you look at 
here's something I've, I find striking. Every year when we have the right of election um, for those who are coming into, into faith and into the life of the church, uh, uh, there is three questions or four questions that are kind of asked. Mm -hmm. uh, have they started to pray and have a relationship with Jesus? This is asked of the sponsors. Yes. Um, have they, uh, are they opening up to fellowship within the, the communion of the church with fellow, fellow Christians? Are they outreaching in, in ways of service and charity? There's nothing in there about do they know this doctrine and that bit of the Trinitarian um, belief and there's, 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 there's nothing in the questions that are about things. Mm. It's about a way and a growing into. And that is a catechumenal or perhaps a, 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 an apprenticeship way of discipleship. And I'm hoping that with various things that we're going to, uh, we started working on and mm. we'll continue to work on that, that we might build up that way of um, a, a pathway into discipleship. Um, call it a catechumenal way. Uh, it's lifelong. It, mm. it has a kind of an apprenticeship dimension to it. Uh, uh, but it's not, it's not getting a degree in mm. theology. It's for families. It's, it's about how do you live the faith and also grow in, in your understanding of how life in Jesus Christ can provide a way of living well our humanity and for the sake of others around you as well. Oh, what a great, thanks for breaking that down. What a great definition and what great image of, of what of a life lived in faith could be in terms of prayer, in terms of fellowship and community, which so many of us are longing for post-COVID, and really rediscovering prayer where we're having a conversation with somebody who loves us and we love them. And then to be able to, to live a life of service to others that gives life purpose and meaning, which brings happiness and joy beyond our, our current or specific circumstances. That is such a beautiful, wonderful image for Melbourne and beyond. For those who are listening, um, go and dig out the right of election in the RCIA uh, and go to the questions and ask them of yourself. Mm. Right. That's, that's, that's what's being asked of all of us. Amen. Yeah, and as we model that, the more authentic we are to modeling that, the more likely it is that we can give that away and invite people to it, which is such a beautiful image. Archbishop Peter, thank you so much for making the time uh, to be on the show today. I love what you're doing. Uh, tomorrow. Well, tomorrow. <laughs> I almost forgot. <laughs> I was thinking about that yesterday, which is my today. I don't... <laughs> <laughs> it's such a treat and it's such an important work that you and your, your fellow bishops do. I know it's not easy, but it is so important. I pray for you regularly. I thank you for what you're doing and, and your priests and, and all the work the clergy do to try to mobilize the laity in a way that makes a difference, just like you talked about in terms of the way. Um, so, so good. That's okay. Can we, can we finish by just holding up uh, the people of Ukraine in prayer? 
Let's do that, and, and please. The people, the people all over, there's, there's, you know, there's war and conflict all over the place. We just might hold up all those. Mm. The Prince of Peace might come into their lives. Mm. And our Lady of Queen of Peace might be um, with them, with us, uh, working ways in which, what can I do? Mm. Well, build, build reconciliation with the people around me so that it might gradually go out. And we might just, through the intercession of our Blessed Mother Mary, um, pray especially for those who are so um, traumatised and uh, so, Hail Mary, full of grace, grace Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou, among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us in this hour at the hour of our death. Amen. Amen. Thank you for that, and God bless them, and God bless you. Go well, Ron. Thank you. Bye now. I want to encourage you, as you lead this week, be faithful to God and generous to others. See you next time, and remember, if you're still breathing, you are.